God, as we come to you now, we continue just to worship and praise you. I thank you, God, that your face is turned upon us today. In fact, your arms are open wide to welcome us to you. And God, we thank you for a time like this, a time of worship, where not only do we know that your eyes are turned upon us, God, give us the insight, the determination, the will to turn our eyes upon you and to learn from you, to worship you, to praise you, to lift you up. God, thank you for the truth of your word that calls us, that calls us into your presence now. And I pray that you would remove anything that would distract us from focusing on you and turning our eyes upon you as we worship you and continue to lift up your name in praise. God, honor your word. Use the Holy Spirit to bring life to us through the power of your word right now. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible with me again to the book of Matthew, chapter 4, as we continue our journey through Matthew. Uh, We we launched during the Christmas time with... uh, the, the next few months that we're going to be spending in, the, in this book of, of Matthew. Uh, we're going to lay the foundation today for what's coming in the next few weeks, uh, the next couple of months actually, as we'll be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. But for today, we're looking at the foundation for the message that Jesus spoke that uh, will slow us down. Today, we're looking at a whole chapter Beginning next week, we're going to be looking at just a few verses every week, so you can be excited about that. Most people want to be successful, don't they? I know as I look around this room, I see some people who have been very successful in life, and that is the desire of most people. Uh, Success is defined as the accomplishment of an aim or a purpose or a goal. Sometimes, being successful can be a matter of life and death. We saw that this past Monday night when uh, the National Football League Buffalo Bills were playing in a football game. And it was encouraging for us to be able to witness uh, a pro football medical crew successfully resuscitate a 24-year-old young man who had actually had his heart stop beating on the football field. Uh, Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin made a tackle and he immediately stood up and then his heart stopped beating and we saw him collapse to the ground. As his heart stopped beating, the emergency medical team was successful in resuscitating him, bringing him back to his life. And this was uh, possible because of a number of reasons. Uh, They were well-trained. They followed some awesome protocols. Uh, One of the protocols that they have is that one person takes total control of the medical and support team and leads with command, leads with confidence. They worked in unity. They focused on their task. They were not distracted by the huge crowd of people or by the television cameras that were there around them. We like to follow successful people, don't we? 
A successful person demonstrates leadership. They demonstrate self-confidence and aspiration and drive and patience and discipline and communication and integrity and a willingness to learn. They show responsibility and self-reliance and optimism and passion and creativity and resilience and so forth. Ministry is about service to God and service to others. And every believer, every person who has put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is called to ministry. Matthew chapter 28, uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The life and ministry of Jesus set the example for all of us to follow. And Jesus models successful ministry for all times and for all people to follow. Are you aware that God has his hand on your life and when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you're called in to ministry. Some people say, well, that's the job of the pastor and the staff to do ministry. Nothing could be farther from the truth than that. That is a lie straight from Satan. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, the Bible clearly says that pastors and staff are called by God to equip saints, ministers, people just like you to be effective in ministry. Our job as pastors is to equip you to be effective and successful in ministry. And Jesus set this model, and this morning we're going to look at this entire chapter, chapter 4 of Matthew, and we're going to see how, uh, how Jesus set the model and what we can learn from this model that Jesus set for us to follow in being successful ministry servants. First of all, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, successful ministry involves temptation. I hope you know that. In verse 1 of chapter 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, to set the, the back story to this chapter and this verse, remember we ended chapter 3 last week and Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist... The last words we saw in chapter 3, God looked down upon Jesus and said, Way to go, son. I fully approve of your obedient action. Isn't that what you want to hear from God? Can't you look forward to hearing God say about your life, Way to go, son or daughter. I fully approve of your obedient actions. Well, Jesus shows us what happens when we hear a message like that. Jesus heard that message, and then for 40 days, he fasted and prayed in the desert. And immediately, Satan came, and at the highest point, what was the highest point so far in Jesus' life, when the Father said, Way to go, son, I approve of your obedient action. Immediately, Satan began to tempt him. 
Satan tempted him, tempted him in, in, in three different ways. But you need to be aware when, when you sign up to follow Jesus, temptation is coming your way. And you can be prepared for it just like Jesus was. Have you ever, have you ever felt like you were constantly being tempted? I bet some of you have felt that kind of temptation today. Well, you're in good company when you're tempted. Because just like you, Jesus was also regularly tempted. We have three examples of it right here in this passage. But Jesus was regularly being tempted by Satan. The only thing is about Jesus, he never failed a temptation. And so we have a model in Jesus that we can follow that is a very clear model. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, here's what the Bible says. No temptation has come your way. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way for you to escape that you may be able to bear it. Every temptation that comes your way, God has given you the ability to overcome that temptation if you follow the example of Jesus. So let's take a few minutes and just look at this example that Jesus set for us. How can you defend against temptation? First of all, in verses 3 and 4, the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So the first temptation that Satan threw at Jesus in that high time in his life, the time also that he spent fasting and praying, Satan tempted him with the lust of the flesh. Satan said, you see these stones, you can take these stones and you can turn them into bread. Now Jesus could have done that. But it wasn't God's will for Jesus to do that. He replied with quoting scripture back to Satan. He replied with Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now the key to overcoming temptation of the flesh is knowing and quoting scripture. Jesus knew that you need bread to sustain your life. But even more importantly than needing bread to sustain your life, you need the Word of God to sustain your life spiritually. We started the first day of this month working through the Bible. Take us three and a quarter years to work all the way through the Bible reading one chapter a day. If you haven't started, go ahead and start today. We're on, we're on uh, chapter 8 of Genesis, and you can read one chapter a day and follow us uh, follow with us through God's Word and begin to come to understand how God's Word can be spiritual bread to your life to help you meet every need, every temptation that comes your way in life. The second temptation was about overcoming pride. In verses 5 through 7, the devil took him to the holy city and set him up on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Now this is interesting. This shows 
how conniving Satan is. He used scripture to try to entice Jesus, to try to tempt Jesus. But he used this scripture totally out of context. I mean, I see people all the time taking scripture and using scripture out of context to justify their sinful behavior. And that's exactly what Satan was doing here. He's subtle. He quoted Psalm 91.11 to try to tempt Jesus to alter God's plan. And yet Jesus used scripture back to Satan. Satan said, Jesus, if, if, if you'll just uh, look down from this 500-foot pinnacle of the temple, and you jump off of this pinnacle of the temple, everybody in the Kidron Valley will be able to see when you don't die that you are the Son of God. Well, that was a half-truth from Satan, but Jesus knew that that was not God's purpose for his life. And so Jesus replied again with a proper use and a proper knowledge of Scripture. In verse 7 of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus replied with Deuteronomy 6.16, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus simply said that he was not going to misuse the power that God had given him. And he was not going to tempt God. He was not going to test God. Well, the third temptation concerned the lust of the eyes. It was a spiritual temptation. Verses 8 through 10 of Matthew chapter 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Well, this temptation was for Jesus to totally bypass the plan of God to live a perfect life and set an example for you and me to show that he was Messiah and then go to the cross and die for your sin and my sin and the sin of the whole world. It was a temptation for Jesus to shortcut the purpose of God. Now, some of you are going through some things right now in life and I bet you you would like to just blot those out of your life and change the formula. But God has a plan. And the model of Jesus was that he was not going to shortcut God's plan. He was going to follow God's plan and he was going to overcome that temptation of Satan. So in verse 10 of chapter 4 of Matthew, here's what Jesus answered again with scripture from Deuteronomy 6.13. Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. So we see in these three examples where temptation can be physical, it can be emotional, it can be spiritual. Jesus was victorious in everything that Satan threw at him because he used God's Word as his shield. He used God's Word as his defense. And Palmetto Shores, that's what I want to kind of call on us to do this year. I want us to get so involved in God's Word that His Word becomes a defense against the temptation of the flesh. 
against the temptation for us to become discouraged and emotionally distraught. And especially against the temptation to be defeated spiritually. Remember this. No believer is exempt from temptation. When you choose to be a follower of Christ, in fact, the burners are going to be turned up on temptation. Our staff discussed this week in in our Bible study that if you're not being tempted, you probably aren't walking close to Jesus. Because Jesus was constantly being tempted by by Satan. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. In James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, the writer of James says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's the first key. Are you walking close to God? Moment by moment in your life. Submit yourself to God. And then he says, Resist the devil, and he will run away. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. If you want to be successful in ministry and following Jesus, then walk close to God. Honor God's Word. Know God's Word. Let God's Word be your defense against temptation. Over my lifetime, I've seen many believers, even great preachers, tumble and fall under temptation. Some of them morally, the temptation of the flesh. Some emotionally, just burned out and wiped out and fall to Satan. All who fall, though, fall spiritually. So our task this year, as we move into 2023, I challenge you to walk close with God by walking close with God in His Word. Successful ministry involves temptation. Secondly, successful ministry involves wisdom. Now, this is a little bit subtle, but in verse 12 of chapter 4 of Matthew, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. Jesus had a primary person for, reason for coming to this earth. You know what that primary reason was? He became flesh. He left heaven, came to earth, became flesh, We made a big deal over that during the Christmas season, as we should. But Jesus had a purpose, an overall purpose, to go to the cross and to sacrifice his life to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. But Jesus knew that there was a right time and a right way for that to happen. And so, according to Scripture here, when John the Baptist was arrested by Herod, and put in prison. Jesus left Jerusalem, and Jesus went to Galilee. He went to the area of his hometown, because he had other work to accomplish before he went to the cross and died on the cross. In verse 13, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. 
Now, this is significant in the life of ministry of Jesus. He left Jerusalem. He went to Galilee to live in a dark corner of the world. Isaiah had prophesied that Messiah would bring light into the dark world and come from these two, two northern tribes of Israel, Zebulon and Naphtali. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Around 750 B.C., the Assyrian king Tiglath-Pileser invaded the northern tribes of Israel. And when he invaded Israel by 721 B.C., there were no more Israelites. He, he uh, deported the Israelites back to Assyria, which was a custom of his day. And so that left the land bare, that left the land open from any Israelite influence. And consequently, Gentile pagans came in and settled the northern tribes of Israel around the Sea of Galilee. And that's why Matthew refers to this region as Galilee of the Gentiles. The region was considered an area of darkness. When I say darkness, what does, what does that represent to people in our generation today? Well, darkness represents evil. Most crimes, for example, are committed in darkness. Most children of all ages are afraid of the dark to some degree. Darkness brings an eerie feeling about it. People like me trip and stumble over things in the way when it's dark. And so darkness represents evil. Darkness represents, most of all, an absence of light. So when Jesus came to this region, he brought light into the darkness of his world. And even broader than that, when Jesus came to this earth, the world had been trapped in darkness for hundreds of years. Israel had been trapped in darkness of dominating nations. Even in the religious world, the priests and religious leaders of the day of Jesus were corrupted, had sold out to the Roman government. They were hypocritical in their actions and their application of the law in people around them. And so darkness literally filled the world in which Jesus came. But finally, as we talked about last week, John the Baptist, the first true prophet in 400 years, brought a message that light had come into the darkness. Jesus arrived, and Jesus brought light. So he went about beginning, as the Bible says here, to sow seeds of light in the darkness of this most racially diverse part of the world of his day, Galilee of the Gentiles in Israel. So it was wise for Jesus to go away from danger in Jerusalem and retreat to what was near his hometown. Because he would fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah, of course, 
but he will also bring light to this dark corner of the world. In ministry, there's a time to advance and there's a time to retreat. And we need to know that. So how do we know when to go forward and advance and when to sit back and retreat? Well, Jesus taught us that because Jesus was totally led by God's Spirit. And you can be as well. In ministry, for you, there's a time to advance and there's a time to retreat. I recently reread the story of Nick and Ruth Ripkin. For 43 years, they have been faithful in serving Jesus in hard places. There are 72 countries in the world where the name of Jesus is not known in any way. And they have been faithful in serving missionaries and going themselves and serving in these kinds of dark areas. They've learned firsthand from believers in persecution how to recapture biblical discipleship in the midst of martyrdom where people's lives are being taken for the cause of Christ. In his book, Insanity of Obedience, Walking with Jesus in Tough Places, here's what Ripken says. He says, danger is a part of the Christian journey. The only way to stop Christian persecution is to stop sharing Jesus. See, when... When Jesus was here on this earth, he was persecuted almost constantly. Why should we expect anything less when we devote our lives to following him? But the wisdom of Jesus also showed that there's a time to go forward and there's a time to retreat. And so at this moment in Jesus' life, he left Jerusalem and came back. To Galilee, And so the wisdom of Jesus shows us that he brought light into the darkness of this world. And for him, his ministry started and began in the area of Galilee. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, as you know. And when he returned to do his public ministry, he established his ministry just 40 miles east in the area of Capernaum. But he wisely followed God's Spirit to dark places near where he grew up in order to bring spiritual light. Some of you grew up in this community. Where, wherever you live, you live in a community of darkness. And God doesn't want it, want, want it to stay that way. He's put you where he's put you so you can shine the light of Jesus into the darkness of the community where you live. Especially to those who grew up around this area. As people look at your life, as people see the change that Jesus can make in your life, it puts you on a platform to be able to shine light into darkness. But as you know, it doesn't come without a cost. In our church, we have uh, an opportunity this month on Sunday nights, beginning tonight at 6 o'clock to 
for you to learn how to share your faith in a practical way. God saved you and is transforming your life so you can be a witness in your family and in your neighborhood where you live. We also have our discipleship pathway that wherever you are in the discipleship journey that you're on, you can take your next step and you continue to grow and we want to help you do that. And the purpose behind that is to be more and more and more and more like Jesus. In verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4, from the time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, Jesus wisely followed God's Spirit with a message of repentance. There's not a day goes by that I don't need to repent. That's why Jesus came. He is willing and welcome to forgive us of our sin when we confess our sin and turn away from our sin and turn to more and more and more want to become like Him. And I pray that will be the passion of your life as well because when you genuinely repent of your sins and commit your life to knowing Jesus and following Him in successful ministry, God gives you his spirit to guide you and direct you and lead you to shine the light of Jesus in the dark places where you walk and where you live. I want us to understand that following Jesus in successful ministry means that we can relax. We don't have to be somebody that we're not. God doesn't want you to be somebody that you're not. He doesn't want you to be somebody that somebody else wants you to be. He wants you to be you. And just relax and let His Spirit guide you as you become light in the darkness around you. Dr. Chuck Lawless wrote a phenomenal book entitled Nobody's for Jesus. And what he means by that is you don't have to be a famous person or a person in vocational ministry to let your light shine for Jesus. In fact, you are effective to the most degree when you're yourself. When you come to know Jesus and let Him transform your life, and then let that life that He gives you change the lives of those around you, shine on the lives of those around you. In this book title where he says, Nobody's for Jesus. He's saying that you don't have to be weird to be a witness for Jesus. You just need to be you. You don't have to manufacture an image. You just have to be you and wisely follow the Spirit of God as God leads you to be a witness for Him. This past year was an exciting year for Dr. Lawless. For decades and decades and decades he's been praying that his mom would come to know Jesus and this past year his more than 80 year old mom finally came to profess Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior because of his faithful witness that can be true with those close to you and those in your life as well successful ministry involves 
wisdom. The wisdom to follow the Holy Spirit. When he says go forward, go forward. When he says retreat, retreat. Wisdom comes from following God's Spirit. There are two more things that Jesus taught us about successful ministry. The third one is successful ministry involves discipleship partners. Verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting their nets into the sea, and they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, I pray you're listening to the Spirit of God speak through his word here today. Some of you may be hearing Jesus for the first time in your life call you saying, follow me. If you're hearing Jesus call you to follow him right now, follow the example of Peter and James and Andrew and John and immediately just pause for a moment and say, Yes, Jesus, right now, immediately, I want to follow you. I believe he's calling some of you right now to follow him. Are you willing to listen to him? Jesus called these discipleship partners, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They were all fishermen. Jesus called them to follow. And immediately they shifted the direction of their life away from themselves, away from their own agenda, and they shifted to following Jesus. Again, if he's calling you today to follow him, say yes right now. Give your life to him. A disciple of Jesus does three things. Number one, a disciple of Jesus knows Jesus. They said yes to Jesus. I pray that you've done that. If not, do it now. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus is saying now to you, follow me. Not only is a disciple of Jesus one who knows Jesus, a disciple of Jesus is one who is being transformed by Jesus, being changed by Jesus. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you. Are you willing to let Jesus make you? into a disciple of his. And then thirdly, a disciple of Jesus is one who not only knows him and is being changed by him, but one who is on mission with him. Friends, that's where discipleship gets excited. We don't have to do this alone. We're on mission with Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is a person who is on mission with Jesus. Our motto becomes, like we sang earlier, more and more of Jesus and less and less of me. I want my life to be all about Jesus. Jesus is calling discipleship partners today. 
Just like he called Peter and James and Andrew and John. He's calling discipleship partners today. Their answer was yes, immediately. I pray today that in, and in 2023, your answer will be yes, daily, immediately. I want to wake up in the morning and say, I will follow Jesus. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, I want to be on mission with Jesus. For some, it's go and share. For others, it's stay and share. But to all, to all of us, it's be a disciple who makes disciples of Jesus. In the last chapter of this book that we call the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, as you go, make disciples. It's just that simple. You bloom where you're planted. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, make your life about letting your example Shine for Jesus. That's the key to successful ministry. Have you ever heard the name of, of Jim Elliot? Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot was a missionary who followed God's call to share the gospel in Ecuador. When he was 28 years old, on January 8th, 1956, he was killed by the people he was sent to share Jesus. Just like Peter and Andrew and James and John who gave their life, sometimes the cost is high in following Jesus. But you need to know when you choose to follow him, there's a cost. You have to die to yourself and be willing to go where Jesus leads. Partners of Jesus need to understand that. There's a cost. But here's the beautiful part of this story. When Jim Elliott and the four missionary partners who were with him were all killed, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, and his 10-month-old daughter, Valerie, stayed and continued to share the message of Jesus Christ with the people who had killed their husband and father. And because of their faithfulness to being faithful partners with Jesus, faithful disciples of Jesus, that whole tribe eventually came to know Jesus Christ and to follow Jesus Christ. The gospel took root just like it will with your life when you devote your life to being a ministry partner of Jesus. Successful ministry involves ministry partners. And you don't have to do it alone. That's why we have the church. The church should be filled with discipleship partners, ministry partners. Finally this morning, successful ministry involves sacrificial service. We've already talked a little bit about this, but in... In verse 23, when Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. See, as Jesus traveled from town to town, he went to the synagogues where people gathered. The synagogue was anywhere there were 10 
Jewish families or more, in every town there was a synagogue. It was the place where education took place. And on the Sabbath, it was a place where worship took place. Jesus went where the people were, but he went with a message. He went with a purpose. And he had an incredibly successful ministry because he thrived on sacrificial service. Making disciples of Jesus, who make disciples of Jesus, is a clear call to successful ministry. But it's also a clear call to successful service. So my question as we launch into a continued study of the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus is, you know, who will be a faithful follower of Jesus and be willing to let your life be used by God in successful service to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus? This past year, as the year wound down, the last couple of months of the year, Gail and I had the privilege of being a part, attending five different funeral services for people who were connected with our church and Christians in our community. For example, there was a 98-year-old pastor's wife, Marcia Jugley's mother, Jimmy Keller. When she married her husband, he wasn't a preacher, he wasn't even a Christian. God called him in the middle stages of life to become a pastor after coming to know Jesus and he traveled around the country from California to South Carolina sharing the message of Jesus Christ Jimmy took on her role as a pastor's wife with great energy and great joy you couldn't be around her without seeing that the love of Christ was bubbling over in her life she was a prayer warrior who continued right up to the end of her life to faithfully pray for her family and friends who were disciple makers. Two of these funerals we uh, attended were dentists. One, Dr. Thomas Kelly, was 84 years old when God took him home. The last 20 years of his life, you know what he did? He invested in this community with a witness for Christ. He was primarily responsible for the dental hygiene and dental assistant facilities that are at Ori Georgetown Tech, sharing the love of Christ with a passion, with his avocation. My point is, you can do the same thing. John Dempsey, I baptized him when he was 68 years old, and he died when he was 78. He spent the last 10 years of his life wearing out God's word. I held his Bible to preach his funeral and the pages were coming off in my hand <laughs> he spent so much time in those 10 years walking with God and sharing the love of Christ with his family and friends my point is who's going to take the place of these saints who have been so faithful at carrying the gospel message I'm sure you have family members who have been faithful to give you the gospel and give you the opportunity to share. I pray that you will pick up the mantle and be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ as well. Starts by knowing him. Do you know him? Is he knocking at your heart's door right now? 
saying to you, follow me. Follow me and I'll take your life and make something out of it that's bigger than you could ever dream. It was encouraging this week to see that NFL medical support team go into action and resuscitate the heart of that young man, Damar Hamlin. That doesn't even begin to create and generate the excitement of what could be a part of your life if you let the Holy Spirit invade your heart and lead you and guide you into being a successful minister for the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you today that I'm standing here only because of Jesus. Just like these faithful saints that I mentioned earlier, none of them are in heaven today because of the work that they did. They're in heaven today because one day they humbly bowed and said to you, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. I repent of my sin and turn away from my sin. And I accept your gift of salvation. But from this point forward, I want the rest of my life to make a difference for you. God, how I pray that someone here today would pray that same prayer. And then let the world see the light of Jesus shining in their life in the dark spots, the dark corners of our world. God, thank you today for Jesus as we launched into this message singing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I pray that we'll continue to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the light of the world. And I pray that we would truly be successful reflectors of the saving grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name.